Coming up on Nurse Talk, Wounds of War, how the VA delivers health, healing, and hope to the nation's veterans. Post-midterm election wrap shows increased support for expanded and improved Medicare for all and much more. All of this and more today on Nurse Talk. Welcome to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs, one of the thousands of nurses on duty today, along with my co-host and senior correspondent from Healthcare in America, Donna Smith. Donna, welcome. Good to be with you, Casey, and my, what a show we have today. But let's take a minute to thank all of our listeners and broadcast partners, including Progressive Voices, TuneIn, WEACT, the Tom Hartman Program, and those listenings on iTunes, Stitcher, and of course, on nursetalksite.com. Yes, thank you, everyone. So, Donna, we have a great show, and one of our guests is Suzanne Gordon, an award-winning journalist and author who has written for the New York Times, the L.A. Times, Washington Post, and many more. Suzanne's newest book is Wounds of War, How the VA Delivers Health, Healing, and Hope to the Nation's Veterans. Casey, Wounds of War is a great read, and it highlights what the average American rarely gets to see in the news media, but what many veterans know firsthand— Day in and day out, the VA provides high-quality, patient-centered care to millions of our nation's veterans. Makes you wonder why we hear the bad and not the good, doesn't it? Okay, Casey, on that note, it's time to push that button. Done. Jeff, Jeff, are you in here? You got me. I was just hiding out and hoping to give the new attorney general a real scale. <laughs> this is Matthew Whitaker's office now, Jeff. Yeah, I know. I don't understand how Mr. Trump could replace me with Matt Whitaker. He's just a shady businessman with no experience who's blindly loyal to Donald Trump. Okay, hearing it out loud, that makes sense. <laughs> Jeff, I'm sorry it has to end this way, but we're going to need you to clear out your desk. That's okay. Well, luckily, I still got the box I was born in. <laughs> I'm sorry, I promised myself I wasn't going to cry. It'll signal weakness and a hawk is going to come down and grab me. Yeah, well, we're going to need your White House ID back, too. Yeah, I understand. Oh, goodbye, office. Sure did have some good times here during my almost 16 months as the Attorney General. <laughs> my trusted Bible. I justified a lot of bad things with this book. <laughs> oh, in my copy of the Bob Woodward book. In uh, chapter 26, the president calls me mentally retarded. Jeff, are you going to be okay? Oh, Mr. Vice President. Yeah, I'm going to be fine. I've been saving acorns for the long winter. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand what I did wrong, you know. I put kids in cages. I said no to gays. What more did y'all want? Good luck, Jeff. Well, where was I? Oh, right. Oh, look at this. A letter from co-writer Scott King calling me a son, bitch. Here's the ring of keys I would shake to get Mr. Trump's attention during meetings. <laughs> and now we welcome award-winning journalist and author Suzanne Gordon, author of the new book, Wounds of War, How the VA Delivers Health, Healing, and Hope to the Nation's Veterans. Suzanne is the co-editor of the Culture and Politics of Healthcare Work series at Cornell University Press and is the author or co-author of 12 books from Cornell, including Nursing Against the Odds, Beyond the Checklist, and The Battle for Veterans Healthcare. Today we'll talk to Suzanne about her new book and the fully integrated healthcare that the Veterans Health Administration successfully delivers to 9 million veterans across the nation. Suzanne, welcome to Nurse Talk. It's a pleasure to have you with us. 
Thank you so much for having me. So let's just start by talking about the difference between VA, VHA, and VBA. Sure. So the VA is the Department of Veterans Affairs, which is the second largest agency in the federal government next to the Department of Defense. And it has in it three different agencies, the National Cemetery Administration, the Veterans Benefit Administration, the VBA, that decides whether you can get access to health care, it's the GI Bill, home loans, et cetera, and the Veterans Health Administration, the VHA, which is the largest agency in the Department of Veterans Affairs, 300,000 employees, a third of whom are veteran. It's the largest health care system in the country, and it is the only publicly funded, fully integrated health care system in the nation. Well, I have a couple of questions just right off the bat. First off, you said there that the Department of Defense is bigger than the VA. Why are we spending more money on the whole Defense Department than we are on our veterans? Because they're the ones doing the hard work. That's number one. Number two, um, why the differences and why is it important to establish the differences in these organizations? Well, I mean, you could raise that issue with the Department of Defense in many areas, you know, why do we spend more money on the military than on housing or health care for all of our citizens? Why don't we have a national health program in America like the rest of the world does? I mean, those are really good questions. Um, it's very important to understand the difference between the VHA and the VBA because a lot of times what veterans are complaining about when they complain about the VA is the Benefits Administration. They're mad that they didn't get compensation for a service-related injury. There are backlogs in their cases in getting the GI Bill or whatever uh, because the agency, the VA, is chronically underfunded and understaffed. I, I get it. I can see the difference there because the Benefits Department, I can imagine, is fraught with issues because they deny so many veterans versus the Health Administration. So it's a good distinction to make. Suzanne, talk about your pathway to writing about the VA. What got you to that point of writing about it? So I've been writing about healthcare for over 30 years. I write about nursing. I write about health systems. I write about patient safety and teamwork. And it was really my interest in teamwork that got me to write about the VA because unlike private sector hospitals, which often give lip service to teamwork, I learned that the Veterans Health Administration really has established all sorts of extraordinary team trainings and team mechanisms and, and methods in uh, primary care and in, in all sorts of other areas of care that include nurses and doctors and nurses and assistants and clerks and nurse practitioners and medical residents. And I was so impressed by this that I decided I would look into the VA as a national health system and see what can be done when you, what are the innovations in clinical care and research and teaching that can occur when you have a national health system as opposed to a fragmented, disintegrated healthcare system like we have in the private sector. Well, we all wish we had that on the entire sector, but we're glad we have it at the VA. It's an interesting issue because, you know, I've been writing about nursing for many years and I've always thought of nursing as a sort of visibly invisible profession. It's the largest profession in healthcare. But people don't know what nurses do that is positive, and they, you know, tend to only focus on nursing when it's a problem, like, you know, when there's a strike, a killer nurse, a, 
a debate about something like staffing ratios, but they never look at what nurses do that's good. And the VA is very similar. It's the largest healthcare system in the country, and yet it's invisible. We see the signs VA hospital, but we tend not to know what goes on in VA hospitals. We don't understand what the patient population is like. We don't understand how these hospitals and medical centers and clinics and so forth help not just veterans, but all of us. And it's quite eerily similar to the dilemma of nursing. And now with the Trump administration and uh, the Koch brothers funded Concerned Veterans for America, we focus on the VA, only its problems, never the incredible accomplishments and the way it serves veterans and all of us. And it's so true. And that's why your book is so important. So in your book, you talk about how federally funded veterans health care is now being restructured so that billions of taxpayer dollars will flow to private doctors for nonprofit hospitals with little experience treating veterans. How and why is this happening? So basically, several years ago, there were some problems with performance standards and wait times in Phoenix and the VA and in some other areas. And that was jumped on by the conservatives are really ultra-libertarian Koch brothers and some other billionaire anti-government groups. And they really played this to the T and started this bandwagon to privatize the VA. And Republicans in Congress jumped on the bandwagon. The national media uh, pushed this narrative of a broken VA and every tiny little problem in the VA which is publicly reported because it's a publicly accountable system, is exploded in the pages of the New York Times or USA Today. And, you know, even the sort of mainstream media is, uh, I think, been contaminated and is a carrier of this Koch brothers' ultra-conservative narrative. And so basically they passed something called the Veterans' Choice Act, which was supposed to be temporary and allow veterans to go to private sector doctors if they had to wait more than 30 days or travel more than 40 miles for an appointment. That has not worked out very well, but the Republicans pushed making a temporary program that hasn't worked permanent. And they passed in June the VA Mission Act, which will outsource more and more veterans' care to the private sector, depending on how Trump's uh, secretary of the VA, Robert Wilkie, defines the access standards to allow veterans access to private sector health care for physicians, hospitals, and so forth. And, you know, the difference between the VA and the private sector is the VA is mission-driven, not profit-driven. And in our American healthcare system, even not-for-profit hospitals are profit-driven. Um, I have a friend who works in one where You know, it's a not-for-profit, but they are very concerned about their profitability and did they make a profit. So we have a largely for-profit healthcare system, even in the supposedly not-for-profit sector. The VA is totally not-for-profit. Doctors and nurses and and others are on salary. Um, They have no incentive to over-treat because they're not in a fee-for-service system. And they deliver care studies document that is equal to or superior to private sector health care, um, but Congress is not paying attention to the studies that show this and is instead marching forward with this attempt to outsource more and more care. And President Trump has said he wants the majority of veterans to be seen in the private sector. 
which is ridiculous that they keep pushing this. And, you know, as you say, they don't highlight what's working in the Veterans Health Administration. And one of the things I liked about what you say is money isn't a factor. So, you know, that's why it's so important for us to get the VA system out and use it for everyone, because when we take the money out, then you're getting better care, because then you do what's efficacious, not what brings in more money. So can you talk a little bit about why this is such a good model and how we should maybe use this to improve and expand Medicare? So basically, Medicare is a payer, not a provider. It's not a system. And Medicare pays private fee-for-service providers, and that raises costs. Uh, The VA is a payer and a provider. All it's Doctors and nurses and staff are on salary. It negotiates lower prices with pharmaceutical industry and medical device industry, which is one reason why the pharmaceutical and medical device industries would love to have it privatized. They would love everybody to pay more for their drugs and and devices. Uh, The VA also delivers integrated care, and that doesn't just mean that a veteran who moves from San Francisco to Boston can find a VA facility, show his VA card, and get in, it's integrated at the the practice level. So a primary care practice will have psychologists and psychiatric nurse practitioners on site so that a veteran who complains about a mental problem or a substance abuse issue to a primary care provider can be walked down the hall by that doctor or nurse practitioner and introduced to a mental health professional and they can talk to that person right away. And we know that in this model of the warm handoff, a person is much more likely to follow through on treatment than if they're given a referral and asked to make an appointment, which they may or not make or may not show up for. That's also true. They have pharmacists on the unit who will meet with a veteran and talk about how to take their medication safely. They have nutritionists and social workers It's a truly integrated system. It's something that most Americans have never experienced. Isn't that the truth? Mm -hmm. You know, it's we look at what's happening out in the private system and how in the world should we want our veterans to have the same thing? Um, We would like it to go the other way, have everybody in the United States have access to that same kind of care that you get in the VA. And I wanted to get your comment, Suzanne, on on one thing that's happening with nurses around the VA, registered nurses with uh, National Nurses Organizing Committee and National Nurses United have filed a lawsuit against the Department of Veterans Affairs and the VA Secretary uh, Wilkie and, and the Trump administration charging that they acted illegally in a deliberate campaign to eviscerate collective bargaining rights of the VA nurses and other healthcare workers. Nurses say that by denying their union protections, the VA is attempting to limit a Veterans Affairs nurse's ability to advocate for the highest quality of patient care. And I couldn't help but think about that when you were talking about this idea of a warm handoff to another health care provider. What do you think about the nurses continuing to really fight for their ability to be an important part in a uh, collectively bargained part of the VA? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um Nurses represented by NNU, by um, AFGE uh, and other unions, SEIU, et cetera, are really fighting back. And it's absolutely critical that they passed something last, um, maybe two years ago, called the VA Accountability Act, 
which was supposed to make it easier to fire high-level administrators. And instead, they've used it against the unions, they've used it against uh, lower-level frontline staff, and, and even people like groundskeepers and housekeepers, and they're attacking people's right to take time off work to represent, if they're a shop steward or or a union representative to represent workers. And this is very dangerous. It's very dangerous because it denies Americans their democratically given rights to be in a union. But it's even more dangerous in a healthcare setting because we know that patients fare better in unionized hospitals. They actually live longer. The mortality rates are lower because people aren't afraid. A nurse isn't afraid to say to a doctor, uh, you're about to cut off the wrong leg. Or a housekeeper isn't afraid to say to a nurse, you know, uh, I think you're you're making this this patient is getting sicker. And the the when you deny people's right to speak up and people's right to be uh, protected when they speak up in healthcare, people can die. It's different than an envelope factory or you know many other settings. I mean, we should never deny people's union rights anywhere, but when you do it in health care, you can can kill people because of that. Indeed, and I wanted to just say a quick something about the warm handoff because it seems like a small thing, but that's a really important thing to veterans who have a hard time asking for help, number one, but especially asking for mental health services. And when they get the courage to do that, it's so important that someone walks them down the hall to that person and introduces them right then and there so they don't go home and talk themselves out of it and say once again that these issues aren't so big and they can just handle it on their own. And that does affect all of us because when they can't handle it on their own, bad things happen to everybody around them. So it's so very important to take care of these people who took care of us who put their lives on the line, and we should do the same for them. And I think it's very important for listeners to call their congressmen, newly elected or or not, their senators, and say, you know, that you need to fully fund and staff the VA, that um, the Mission Act is going to be a disaster if access standards uh, allow too many veterans to seek care in a private sector that isn't equipped to handle their problems. And I think it's very important for people to call Congress and their Congress people and legislators and say that they want the Mission Act to be funded because right now it is being taken, every dollar that will go to private sector care is taken out of the VA budget. And that will mean layoffs, program cuts, facility closures, and it will kill the VA. And that is the intention of this legislation. Suzanne, I want to thank you so much for writing about nurses and your work with nurses, but also for educating about the successes of the VHA and why it's critical to save it. We're talking with author and journalist Suzanne Gordon. Her new book is Wounds of War, How the VA Delivers Health, Healing, and Hope to the Nation's Veterans. And Suzanne, where can our listeners purchase the book and find out more about your work? So they can go to my website, which is SuzanneGordon.com. Uh, they can go to Amazon or to an independent bookstore or another bookstore and find the book. They can get more information on this issue by going to the Veterans Healthcare Policy Institute. I'm a senior policy fellow there. That's veteranspolicy.org. And I encourage people to find out more about them. Even if you're not a veteran, 
the VA helps you, its research helps you, its teaching helps you, and we owe it to veterans to give them the highest quality care, which they can get at the Veterans Health Administration. Indeed. We have just a minute left. Is there anything else you'd like to share, Suzanne? Well, I just think that we have to understand that private sector providers are not equipped to care for veterans because they don't understand their complex problems. And you as nurses understand that you have to understand the problems of the population you're dealing with. Not everybody is the same. Not every patient is the same. And these veterans have very complex problems. And the Veterans Administration, Health Administration, specializes in these problems. And we can't afford to let veterans go out to private sector providers where uh, the majority of them don't know anything about military culture and say they're not interested in finding out in order to help veterans. So they're happy to take the money, but they're not happy to really put the energy into delivering high-quality care. So very true. Thank you so much for the work you're doing, Suzanne, to educate us all about the success of the VHA and why it's so critical to save it. Thank you for helping, and I hope folks will make those phone calls. I'm sure they will. Thank you. Stay with us. We have a recap of the midterm elections, and we like what we see. You're listening to Nurse Talk Radio on Progressive Voices. Tune in and all of our broadcast partners. You're listening to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. Claims Department, Ernestine Tomlin. Nope, not covered. We consider that an elective procedure, meaning we elect not to pay for it. (laughs) Well, it's not our fault you've had two heart attacks. You should have stopped at one. Of course you have your choice of doctor. Do you want the doctor we give you or not? It's your choice. You must think HMO stands for help me out. (laughs) Remember, your health is our business, not our concern. California One Care. Full care for all for less. We believe that health care is the right for everyone. We're holding the line on our benefits, and we're holding the line for the other health care workers here. We're holding the line for our patients. We're holding the line for the nurses all over the country. We all deserve proper health care. This is what we deserve as citizens of America. One of the most important things I think we do as nurses is listen. And I mean, listen from the point of view of no judgment, no, um, you know, what, what they're saying. You just get it, and you get it on that human level. We are nurses, so we cannot diagnose, prescribe, or treat. But listen to us anyway, because we like to talk. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs, along with co-host Donna Smith. Well, Casey, that music can only mean one thing. It was a blue wave, and we're going to celebrate. Give us an overview of the victories and what this means for those of us who support issues like Medicare for All, the rule of law, and the Constitution. My goodness, we we are so happy this week, I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. Um, we have taken back the House. The Democrats have taken back the House Woo-hoo! of Representatives, which is really great news, and especially since there's a bumper crop of people in that 
group who ran on single-payer Medicare for All as one of their primary issues, and we're so proud, so proud of those people. And more one women than ever. One of the latest ever. ones announced was in California, Katie Porter uh, in Orange County. Can you believe it? Orange County is now blue, aside from just a little corner that we're working on. But that shows you just how deep, how deep the winds were. We're, we're so happy about some of the newest people that we're seeing that, well, bumper crop. We've got uh, Representative Underwood in the in suburban Chicago that normally would have been uh, tremendously uh, Republican, and she won. Uh, we have our wonderful Alexandria Ortiz-Cortez in New York, who is exciting and really rocking the boat already in Washington. And what we really like to see in this blue wave is not just they're Democrats. That's, you know, that's that's fine. But the reality is they look more like what America looks like. They look like us. They're 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 more women uh, than ever before. And there's more people of color than ever before. And finally, at least the people being elected on the Democratic side seem to really be representative of the rest of us. And what that also means, if they represent us, since a strong majority of the American public supports Medicare. Care for all. We now have a real chance to have real hearings on the House side. Absolutely. Now we're under no illusions. We're not going to get Mitch McConnell and his crew on the Senate side to do anything on Medicare for all. In fact, we lost it. I think we'll end up having uh, lost a couple of seats in the United States Senate. That was not unexpected, however, and we did not lose any single payer supporters on the Senate side. And I suppose for me, there's a special kind of joy in the fact that we have, uh, we're, we're going to rattle the cages of some of these old white men. And yes. I have nothing against older white men. Some of them are quite nice people. You're married But to the one. reality is we have some real stuck people on the Republican side of the aisle in the conservative ranks, and it's time for them to be unstuck. And I can't think of any better way to do that than to bring in some very uh, diverse, very strong uh, women candidates and, and have them start rocking the boat. Now, Donna, talk about the House Caucus Expanded and Improved Medicare, H.R. 676. Oh, absolutely. And that 676 is the number of the bill. And that's good that we get to mention it twice, which is good. It's H.R. 676. And the the House Caucus is, has just been formed within the last few months. Uh, uh, Pramila Jayapal of Washington State is uh, the person who really spearheaded that. And really with the push of nurses, I know you'll be very shocked to hear that to form a caucus, a Medicare for All caucus on the House side, which means it's a group of uh, committed legislators who are saying not only are they going to support getting us to passage of H.R. 676 and Medicare for All, but they're going to be champions of that uh, legislation and really work to get it through the necessary committees so that we can actually hear debate on the House floor and really move this forward. We don't have an lo awful lot of time before the health care system that we've got implodes even further than it already has and prices out millions of Americans from having adequate health care. So this caucus will go a long way to being ready to rock and roll in 2020 when we actually elect a Senate that can pass Medicare for all and we get busy with the work of making that the law of the land and making sure every American has access to health care. And how many are in that caucus? 
Uh, right now, we're almost up to 40 people, which is Excellent. tremendous. You know, we had at the end of, well, at the end of this Congress, we haven't, the new Congress isn't sitting yet. They will be sworn in in January. But in the current Congress, there are 123 co-sponsors of H.R. 676. So having this caucus growing and growing and growing is very important. But we're going to have some work to do to make sure that those 123 people are back on H.R. 676. And folks will wonder, well, why wouldn't they? be. Well, those uh, many people will understand that when there's no chance of a piece of legislation passing, some people will throw their names on legislation just say, oh yeah, I support that. And they won't do any real work or effort to make sure that that legislation happens. Well, first of all, this caucus will put energy to that. And secondly, uh, there's no more hiding behind this bill won't pass anyway. We expect these congressional members to reflect what is representing people in America, and that's a strong majority that wants to get us to health care justice through improved Medicare for all. Absolutely. I have the other thing I wanted to ask about, Donna, as I understand you were in a very steep competition last night, and you may have <laughs> lost. That was the chili cook-off. I did. I'm just heartbroken. <laughs> I was in a chili cook-off here in my uh, hometown of Denver, Colorado, and I've won a couple of chili cook-offs in the past. This was not to be, sadly. However, in keeping with the theme of today's show, I was happy that it was a, a Navy a, a man who serves in the Navy. I thought, how interesting, the Navy in Colorado. That's an interesting concept. Very interesting. But in any case, uh, he won, and his chili was delicious. So that family got to take home a beautiful new Instapot, and I could take my chili home and finish the rest of it. Very good, Donna. That's always important. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it for today. Thanks for listening, and thank you to our executive producer, Patty Lockard, sound design and engineering, June Miller and JMC Sound, and Taylor Lockard Research. And National Nurses United, all the nurses on duty today, and of course, our listeners and guests, take care and visit us at nursetalksite.com or like our Facebook page at Nurse Talk. <music>